not sick of that music yet. No. I like it. I like it a lot. Hello. Welcome to the show. This is Sarah Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Are you hitting your mic? I was trying to move it, and every time I move it, the little coils get all excited, <laughs> bounce around, and make noise. Well, can you blame them? You're touching them. I know. Talking right at them. <laughs> Today on the show, this uh, first chunk of the show, we are going to do our horror facts, but we also are bringing some true crime, some, I have a psych article I want to talk about a little bit, and then also a question from a fan, from a patron. So we're going to do that here in the first little bit. Then we are going to get to our Friday the 13th watches which are the fifth and sixth installments of the series which is a new beginning and jason lives so we're going to do a segment on that which is has been really fun because honestly i think we bring a little bit of something i mean we say a lot of the things like the fun facts are things maybe nerds know but the other part of it like the psych part of it and the part we talk about it i i really feel like that's an addition to the conversation i think you forgot a little a part what previous i mean you didn't mention there's something else that we do in between those two things well i mentioned horror facts already oh i didn't hear you oh yeah so she wasn't listening to me no i was but i think you went over it a little bit fast (laughs) oh she was so she wanted me so there will be the horror facts with cat thank you as there is in every episode Now she's laughing at me. Okay. And then the last chunk we will talk about our horror watches. Does that satisfy Sure, I mean, Your need wh- whatever you want, Shannon. For the, oh, oh, yeah, I love it. Fall on my sword. What? I didn't ask for anything. <laughs> what? What? I didn't. Fall on my sword. What? I didn't. What do you mean? Okay, here we go. So that's a little bit about our dynamic. Hello, if you're new to the show. So let's start with, I would, I, we have a question from a listener. And this listener actually became a patron, so that's amazing. Her name is Amy. And I'm going to read a part of the email that she sent that had a question. And I thought it was a good question. I thought we could follow up on it. It has to do with the episode we did, I believe, last year on capital punishment. So first of all, she says how she loves the podcast. Yay. She has a quick question. I'm picking and choosing episodes right now. And I'm listening to the capital punishment one. And that's literally what it's titled. If you want to go back and listen to it and see how we whatever we did. So she says, I wouldn't exactly say that I'm for or against it. She mm-hmm. can't, she's like, I, you know, I, I could see both sides. However, I feel like saying that they are cruel and unusual punishment is almost hypocritical. I promise I'm not trying to judge you. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Which I think is sweet. Yeah. You can judge us all you want. I think y'all are great. Y'all, I like that. I don't know where she's from, but I think y'all are great, but it never occurred to me until listening to y'all. I feel like the act that got the person capital punishment is cruel and unusual too. So who do we say it's controversial because it's, why do we say it's controversial because it's cruel and unusual? So it's, and she just sort of says like, this is an honest question. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just asking. I think that's a normal reaction to have too, right? Because when we think about certain heinous crimes that have led people to getting the death penalty, like when we look at Ted Bundy, I mean, I think it's a normal human reaction to say that person needs to suffer for all they did to and, and how many lives they destroyed and families of those that so uh yeah it, i don't remember the context of how cruel and unusual punishment came up in that in that podcast what i can say now i can only speak to what that comes up for me now when that's asked is i think it's because the reason why it's so controversial for a lot of people is because we know that every year there are quite a number of people who are wrongfully accused. And so if the death penalty is an actual sentence, we might be sending people to death row who didn't commit their crimes. My my first thought was, and like you, I don't remember all the things we said. It's kind of like doing a radio show. I don't go back and listen. I edit the shows, but I don't go back and yeah. listen to them very often. My thought process would be that the question implies a trust in the justice system. Right. Most white people will say that they believe in the justice system. And so if you, t- if you turn that on its edge and you say, I don't trust the justice system, then the argument for capital punishments begins to deteriorate and fall apart because those of us working in mental health or in forensic psychology or anyone who is a minority in this country doesn't 
trust the justice system in that kind of totalitarian way. I don't want there to not be a justice system. I think if you come at it from that standpoint, then you really just say like, I can't in my right mind say that that kind of justice is the government's, I don't know, prerogative. Because I don't, I do not trust that the people that they're executing are guilty. Right. Same. Cool. So that's our answer, I guess. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm so glad you found us and... Yeah. You know, if our answer makes us makes you mad, right back. Well, we'll keep talking about it. (laughs) I I love I love questions like that, though, that further the the, you know, these are important conversations to have. And we welcome people's questions and opinions and feedback. And um, you don't have to agree with us. Oh, no, Lord, no, 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 no. And I have some other listener mail that's going to happen, you know, that we're going to address and and listener ideas and stuff. I got a bunch of stuff here at the beginning of the season. So we're going to be playing that out over the next several months because it takes a little while with a question like that, where we can just answer from our own opinion. It's great. But then there were other things that were sent in, you know, ghost stories. Kathy finally got a few ghost stories. She doesn't know about got a couple of ghost stories from a listener and some other things and some ideas and some other questions and articles and different things. And so I want to be able to do those justice because I don't know you guys, our listeners are incredibly intelligent. I just want to say that for sure. Like, no dummies out there they're really smart people so we love the questions and if and i would like even more like give me more work to do yeah (laughs) i have a lot of work give me more so that was it thanks so much amy let's do a little segment we like to call that was a classic that was one of your classic yeah, that was like old renditions. I really yeah. enjoyed that. Thank you so much. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. What famous director stated, one person's craziness is another person's reality? <laughs> okay. Are you going to write it down? I'm working on it. We she need, is do, monitoring me. Do, do you need a minute? She is... M- <laughs> She is on the horror facts with Kath. That's fine. I'll go to, I'll go to number two because I know you're not even taking a guess. Number two. I am. Which Disney ride has a basketball court inside so the ride operators can relax on breaks? Okay. Got it. Oh, look at that. She knows that one. Yep. Number three. <laughs> this breed of dog comes originally from ancient Egypt where their mummified remains could be found entombed with pharaohs. They are probably the very first breed to be developed purely as a companion and have been around between 4,000 to 7,000 years. I have two guesses on that one. Okay. I only need one. Shh. (laughs) Calm down, horror facts. Number four. As humans, we spend an average of how many years sleeping if we're fortunate to live a full life? An average full life of an American, I assume. Average of blank years sleeping. Mm. Okay. And number five, the monumental transformation scene in this horror film was known to be the development of practical effects. Say it one more time. The mon- excuse me, the monumental transformation scene in this horror film okay. was known to be the development of practical effects. Got it. I mean, I have guesses. I'm sure I'm wrong. Yeah. But yeah, okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kathy. I <laughs> I have a little article that was shared by a friend and patron of ours whose nickname is Pepper. Oh, and Lord. This she's, is going to be good. She, that's right. She shared a little a little doodad a while back, actually. This is kind of, unfortunately, it takes us a little while to get to things sometimes. Because okay. we do pack our shows pretty tight with stuff. But I put it on the docket for today. It is a psychological research article. Ooh. And it is called, This Place is Full of It, Towards an Organizational Bullshit Prepar- Perception Scale. <laughs> organizational bullshit perception scale the obps ladies and gentlemen 
I'm going to read the abstract for you because I feel that you should hear it. I want to hear it. The study evaluated the psychometric properties of the organizational bullshit perception scale using two samples of employees of organizations in various sectors. The scale is designed to gauge perceptions of the extent of organizational bullshit that exists in a workplace where bullshit is operationalized as individuals within an organization making statements with no regard for the truth. (laughs) Analysis revealed three factors of organizational bullshit termed (laughs) quote unquote regard for truth quote unquote, the boss and quote unquote, bullshit language. So those were the three factors. (laughs) Are you enjoying this? I thought you might. The three factors are consistent with existing literature in the field of organizational bullshit and other and offer further insight into how employees view workplace bullshit. I just like saying bullshit like 40,000 times right now. The OBPS constitutes three subscales measuring these factors Future researchers should seek to validate the OBPS and further develop the identified factors of organizational bullshit. Initial thoughts? <laughs> I mean, all, all, I really just heard bullshit a lot of times <laughs> through that. I And I appreciate this article. I think it's hysterical. Um, I, I think I have to process this a little bit. <laughs> I mean, there is a lot of bullshit that happens in big corporations. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, what they're saying is, you know, how we, so what we do in psych land and in, and in research land is sometimes the research is so new and we don't have a foundation for it that people will do like heuristic studies or studies just to find out the factors. Yeah. Not, not testing the scale or testing the factors yet. They just have to find out what the measures are going to be, like what the factors are. And so that's what this did is they found out these these three factors meaning bullshit language yeah the boss and whatever that's hilarious yeah i know and it it makes me think of things like the office yes and um yes both the movie and the show you know or off what was it no what was the movie office i forgot what's called but then there's the office, the show. It makes me think of those environments where, you yeah. know, it's like office that space office space. Yeah. Yes, like yes. that nine to five grind. <laughs> totally. It's just, it's kind of fun. I mean, they want to, they want to measure the extent that employees perceive bullshit in their organization. Yeah, I think that, I, and I think it's a great study. Cause it's like, I, I think it's a great study for, and if they build on it, you know, anymore, that would be a lot of fun too. Mm-hmm. And and also end up being kind of important because I have a pretty low threshold for tolerating a lot of bullshit. I tend to be in my like middle management, I don't know, in my leadership qualities, I tend to be pretty transparent and I don't like it when others aren't. I realize politically we all have to keep things under our level of need to know, right? Mm-hmm. When you're in an organization at whatever level you're at, mm-hmm. I understand that my bosses and managers and directors and stuff need to keep the funnel of knowledge, you know, somewhat monitored, obviously. Like I don't need to know everything they know because it just creates anxiety in the workplace. Right. But I don't like it covered by bullshit. No. Just say you can't say it. You know, this, this just is, say like, listen, we're still working it out. And that's yeah. all you got to say to me. That's I, I, <laughs> I thankfully uh, for the most part work for myself, but I have working for the university at times, there's been like a collaboration of emails from people from administration and saying like, oh, don't, you know, don't, um, you know, put a respond all because not everybody has the same contract as you. And then there's, and I'm like, well, why is that? You know, like you're, you're just creating more drama and for sure, you know, you're, you're basically saying that there's certain people that get more than others and you're trying to hide that. And that's, that is bullshit. Like, don't tell me to respond all like I've been negligent because you're not, you know, treating everybody equally. Like you're basically saying that in that email. So yeah, I've dealt with it on like a, that sort of level. And, and many times where I've just rolled my eyes going, all right. I mean, I apologize. I respond at all. Yeah. And that some other people saw, you know, what I thought, what I have. So sorry. Yeah. So sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's like, yeah, okay. I wouldn't have wanted to respond to all with that. That's fine. But also does it really matter? I know it causes a problem for you. Well, they send it to all. <laughs> yeah, right. 
but right. they didn't want my question oh, because golly. I was I was thinking that when I sent back the question, everybody else yep. would would appreciate yep. knowing that no, as I'm well. I'm sure you replied all on purpose. A lot of people re- don't reply all on purpose. You know, we always yeah. get those emails, but no, it sounds so. With this with this uh, study, I I looked into it while I was listening to you. The those key underlying dimensions of workplace BS. The first was regard for truth which they're saying speaks to the extent to which the corporate culture places an importance on evidence and facts in decision-making, okay. right? So yeah. what does an organization have as far as regard to the truth? Like, do they care? The second dimension was the boss, which speaks to the perpetuation of workplace BS by hierarchical structures within an organization, like how the org chart is set up, obviously, mm-hmm. suggesting that superiors may be key role players in the dissemination of BS, obviously. Oh, my God. We've all been a party to that. If you've ever held a leadership <sighs> yes. position in any organization, you end up becoming a party to that. Yep. But there's ways to minimize it, which I do try to do. And then the final dimension is the BS language, which highlights some of the language typically used by those perpetuating workplace BS, like typically exclusionary language, such as acronyms and jargon that would often cause individuals to doubt their own understanding and otherwise prevent others from meaningfully contributing to a conversation and voicing their concern. That's one of the many reasons why, like when we use a psych jargon, I try to make sure that we explain what the psych jargon means because psych jargon is just jargon. So, I mean, we should make it more accessible so that we're not, because we're not here to talk over anyone or above anyone. We're here to explain the jargon most people probably listen going she's a psychologist <laughs> well we do use the f word a lot well yeah i mean you know we have uh personal lives we do i don't think us or cops or lawyers have personal lives we're not supposed to right no we're supposed to be for the higher good and we're held to that standard where we don't make mistakes and we don't have personal lives we don't nope <laughs> On that note, I believe you have a true crime thing you wanted to start to share. I wanted to introduce this case. For those people who live on the East Coast, this might be so last month for them. Okay. But my sister-in-law reached out. She lives, um, she and my brother live in North Carolina, and and she said, you and Shannon need to take a look at this case. It's super interesting and really loaded, and there's already a couple podcasts that are following it in real time. I don't know if you've heard of Alex Murda. Have you heard this name, Shannon? No. This is nuts. So I'm just going to give a brief overview, and then you and I at some point can talk about whether we actually want to cover it in more depth at some okay. point. So Alex Murdaugh, visual timeline, what happened, when, where, who's involved? So Alex Murdaugh, a member of a well-known legal family, is the subject of multiple investigations and lawsuits after a cascading series of events. So the, this, the cascading series of events has placed prominent South Carolina lawyer in the middle of a multiple state investigations and civil lawsuits after he was shot in what police now say was a botched insurance fraud scheme months after the murders of his wife and son. So, okay, so we've, you watch forensic files, there's a million botched you know, insurance things. However, this gets really crazy and I'm just going to give the timeline. And then if we decide we want to go into this case at another time, we can. Okay. So the Murdoff, the Murdoff family died June 10th. Randolph Murdoff, the third, 81 years old. So this is Alex, the main guy, his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, he dies on June 10th. Randolph, Randy Murdoff, the fourth, his yeah. brother remains now partner of this law firm, whatever. Richard Alex, the main guy, he's at the center of all this. Now his wife, Margaret Murdoch, 52, was fatally shot and found dead at the family's hunting estate in Colton County. Curtis Edward Smith, 61, accused of shooting Alex Murdoch in what police say was a botched insurance fraud scheme. So Alex is still alive. Mm. The wife is dead. Mm -hmm. Then we have Buster Murdaugh, Alex (laughs) Murdaugh's surviving son, for whom Alex Murdaugh had intended to receive $10 million of life insurance payout in the botched shooting. Buster and Alex had offered up to $100,000 rewards for information investigating the Murdaugh's death. Okay. Mm -hmm. Paul Murdaugh, the 22-year-old son, 
Alex Murdoch's son, who was fatally shot and found dead at the family's hunting estate in Colton County. So mother and son get shot. They're dead. Okay. Then we have some other random deaths associated with this dude. Stephen Smith, 19. Smith was killed in what South Carolina Highway Patrol investigators originally ruled a hit and run. His case was reopened after the Murdaugh murder investigation began. Somehow he's tied into this. Then we have Mallory Beach, also 19 years old, died February 24th, 2019. Beach died when a boat piloted by Paul Murdaugh crashed. Again, random death. Died February 26, 2019. Gloria Satterfield, another, the Murdaugh's housekeeper for more than two decades, just all of a sudden died. So it goes through about how all of these events unfolded. What they're imagining is Alex, all for this money, has created this huge scheme and all of these people in his life are randomly just falling off and dying. So, I could go an hour into this whole thing, which I won't, but this has become like one of the biggest cases nationally. Mm -hmm. And there's so much craziness going on that this guy is now tied to like 15 murders. Oh no. Okay. So it's pretty nuts. And it's super mm -hmm. interesting. If you start to read the timeline of like who got shot and when, and all of the leads to the investigation and all of these teenagers dying, mm -hmm. it's nuts. Where are they in the investigation? Are they in a trial situation? I believe Is that they're over? in a trial. I believe, so September 16th, Murdaugh's charged with insurance fraud. So okay. trial, yeah. Surrenders to police in Hampton County and is charged with insurance fraud, gotcha. conspiracy to commit insurance fraud. and fraud. So obviously the insurance fraud part is whatever, but it's all of these like crazy, it's like the Kennedys. Yeah, this, this as you're sort of going through this, this sounds super familiar to a documentary that I watched. Are there already documentaries on this I don't stuff know. yet? I know it that seems like a new case. There, so. it, it is newish. So and maybe they don't have there's that There's podcasts, yet. like I said, following it in real time. Okay, so I don't, gotcha. I don't yet think. No, they haven't done anything like that. Yeah. So it's just some other fakakta thing I watched. It's, this is, <laughs> but it's, it's really insane. If you go to usatoday.com and you look him up, there's a huge article on the timeline of events here. Um, and it's really creepy when you look at like how some of these people died and how they could potentially be tied into this. I mean, this guy's a complete sociopath. It's crazy. All right. I'll look into it okay. and we can make a determination. Perhaps we All will right. do some more on that, especially once there's some more traction in the case too. Like once it starts to, I don't know, get going or, yeah. Once it's complete, completo, and they know the story. Because it sounds like the story is still unfolding, like how it all weaves together. It's, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Friday the 13th. Oh, Jesus. A new beginning. And Jason lives. <laughs> Yay. Hello. <laughs> we are back. We are going to talk about in our rewatch, our revisit of Friday the 13th, we're going to talk about a new beginning and then we are going to talk about Jason Lives. All right, so let me just get you some information about Friday the 13th, a new beginning and then we'll get into the other shizzle. So, this is came out in 1985, strict horror, 91 minutes long. The premise is this. Years after Tommy Jarvis murdered <laughs> the hockey mask serial killer Jason Voorhees, he resides, in a, he resides in a mental hospital and struggles with the trauma of the experience. When Tommy moves to an isolated halfway house, he has nightmares about Jason's return. And, the, and soon, one of the patients is killed. As the body count grows, Tommy begins to question his sanity and wonder if Jason has risen from the dead. But to determine the killer's identity, Tommy will need to survive. This is the worst of the series, it is. in my opinion. Agreed. Um, I have a really hard time figuring out how Tommy's brief sociopathy at the end of four <laughs> now turns into this full-on PTSD mental illness breakdown. Yeah, they try to make it a mental health movie. Did they, you notice that? They really tried to take it too serious, which is... We'll get to six, which I really loved six, but five is like, there's still, 
trying to make it what it isn't. And I, they just took themselves too seriously. And the movie is terrible. Well, I mean, I wrote down halfway through, it's just boring. It's horrible. It's not scary. They tried to make it a mental health movie, like you said. Yeah, it's just boring. They tried to do too much with it. Like, know who you are, right? I mean... There's one scene I appreciated. Oh, there's a couple scenes I appreciate. We'll get to that part. Okay. Let's let's keep trash first. Let's keep trashing first. <laughs> there was a $2.2 million budget on this film. Okay. I could have made this in my backyard. Yeah. I mean, Jason's now a zombie. Is that what's happening? I mean, I know he goes full zombie in six, but like he died in the grave. Are we expected to believe that he came up this is the one so six kind of explains it right like he's buried there's an electrical current from the sky and like that electrified like a frankenstein moment six, right si- yeah six is six is the one, frankenstein one but this one is still he comes up yeah out, out of, of the, the grave and you show they show like a quick flashback of Corey feldman as tommy jarvis and right. then you don't ever really see that again right um explaining that he never quite died at the end of four right so he's not a zombie till six but yeah six is where he gets hit with the lightning and that's the first one that i actually remember as a kid i remember that opening i think yeah a lot of people do Mm -hmm. so not a zombie quite yet he's a zombie in six and can we also talk just a moment about the representation of the intellectually challenged in this movie it's bad that character obviously it's, dies, but doesn't die from Jason's hand, no. dies from the dude that's living at the house's hand. Right. And who's the relationship I don't even remember because I was in a coma already, even though it so happens bad. at the beginning of the movie. But yeah, the, there's an intellectually challenged uh, guy and woo, he's like the most annoying, annoying person in the whole thing. And uh, I just thought to myself, ooh, culturally, yeah. that is not cool. Five, five almost feels like it's not even part of the series. And right. I feel like they really could have gone from four to six with maybe a little bit at the beginning to explain how Tommy got where he did. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just because five was like an unnecessary hour and a half of Tommy's stint at a mental hospital that really didn't even explain that. As yeah, far when as they I'm when they keep going back and forth to him, and and then they would have him have like little PTSD reactions, like at the beginning of the scene, like shaking or sweating or something, mm-hmm. and having memories, like flashbacks. And I'm thinking, okay, let's say you wanted to do that, and it was the '80s, and so you're equipped with '80s knowledge in this area, and you wanted to do that. I just feel like okay they could have done it better. So even, even last time we talked, I even said like, Oh gosh, I would have really loved if they had just left off where if they had picked up where Corey Feldman left off and just done a movie from the development of a psychopath and then made it fun. That could have been like more psych, right? More, not necessarily a mental health movie, but there could have been more psych in that because it's the development, you know, you just cut to Corey as a teenager and then, which probably would have worked out timing wise. And then you just have them be, but no, they did this. I think you're talking about the character of Joey. Oh, okay. I got the, the intellectually challenged. No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah, no. Uh, no, no, I'm saying earlier when you were talking about that guy, I think oh. Joey is the name of the character. I was looking him up because okay. I couldn't fully remember him. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. And five is just a waste. And And I think this is what happens when you keep changing directors and I want to try to go this way with it. And a new beginning when right? they, like, when oh they got God. to six. Okay. So one quick thing before we get to six, I like the, eye the, the eye kill and the tree squeeze kill. <laughs> I liked the chainsaw fencing. There you go. <laughs> they fenced with chainsaws. It was amazing. Yeah. Like there's one point where he stabs her in the eye with the, with the clippers. Isn't that that yeah, one oof. with the clippers and then the eyes are there. And then the boyfriend goes by him wrapping a belt around his head and then turning a tourniquet and he just gets squashed. Oh God. The heads get squashed yep. against the tree. I think that's fine. So those were great. Uh, but and it's another barn because remember la- the yeah. last movie is another barn. I'm like another barn. Another we're barn. in the barn again. Can we please abandon the barn? Like Jason lives in a barn. Uh, apparently, a, a constant barn. 
the one thing, I, one more thing I wanted to laugh at, and then I wanted, I definitely want to hear anything you want to trash it on, or one thing you liked about it, let's say, is um, Pam, Pam, <laughs> Pam, 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 the blonde, the final girl, whatever. Yeah. It's so funny. The climactic scene with the tractor. Oh, God. Pam. So Pam <laughs> just lays there waiting for the blade. Like, ah, 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 and just like, wait, like curled up on the ground, like waiting, like thrashing. There's Pam. And then Jason, like Jason gets kicked off the tractor or whatever. And then he just waits there to get hit by the tractor. He's like on the ground and he's like, uh, uh, and then the tractor comes like, okay, way too much time is elapsing. Everybody's just like waiting around to get stabbed or it's almost over. like a Austin Powers when he's oh, in front such of the a joke. Yes. Oh, and it yes. takes him like 10 minutes to get yes. hit. Yes. Yeah. That was like the joke. That. That's where it comes from. Yeah. Oh my God. So what did you say you liked about it? Uh, no, I, I didn't like anything about it. I, okay. I just like, I liked the, 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 chain, one kill. the chainsaw fencing scene was hilarious oh, to yes. me. Um, and I liked some of the similar things. That well, and I would well. want it to be funnier. I mean, the funny parts are funny. Well, that that's what I was about to say is I feel like by the time they got to six, they started realizing what they were making. Yeah. And they started to not take themselves as seriously and it worked. Sure. Sure. So six, I'll just do the the quick the quick rundown of, of what it is, of what the story is. So it came out in 1986, 85 minutes long, strict horror. Years ago, Tommy Jarvis killed infamously hockey-masked murderer Jason Voorhees, and the intensity of the experience has landed him in the mental institution. To end his torment and achieve a level of closure, Tommy escapes from the hospital and heads to the graveyard where Jason is buried, intending to dig up the body and cremate it. But before the total annihilation can occur, a freak electrical accident resurrects Jason from the dead and the terror begins anew. The funny thing about five and six is they both start in, in the graveyard scene. Right, like, right, which is why it's easy to get them mixed up. Very, except mm-hmm. six has zombie electrical current. Just remember that. Yeah, <laughs> and these grave diggers and the worms, like they literally, he's dead. That's when I knew when that. So that opening sequence when the worms come through his eyes. I, 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 just watching it this last time, I went, okay, this is the this is the first one I remember watching as a kid because I remember how much this scene freaked me out when I was a kid. Yeah, because they do concentrate a lot on the worms and stuff. Like there's different shots and different angles. It's like they go full yeah. bore on the wanting you to know that he was dead. He was dead. These guys got it pretty bad. I remember watching this with some friends a while back too. And just like you were laughing about the Pam, Pam. (laughs) And this one for me, it's every five seconds. They're like, we need to find Sissy in court. We (laughs) need to find Sissy. Like who the hell is Sissy in court? And they say it through the, and it's, it's, you know, two of the characters or whatever, but Sissy in court, Sissy in court, they say it like 50 times through the movie and we would be watching it going, where's Sissy in court? Because they say it through the whole movie. I, uh, um, and they also go back to camp in this one. They do. And I there's some cool. funny, like there's actual humor in this one Yeah, too. it's really campy and stupid. Yeah. Which is fun. There was one time last year I did a, a full watch of Friday the 13th. And for those of you who don't know, last year was the first time I actually ever sat down and watched all of them. I had not seen all of the Friday the 13th movies. So I was able to watch all of them. And I remember my my thought process was, oh, this is so good. And But then I watched the rest. And then I looked back at all of them. And I'm like, I only thought six was really good because it came after five. And five yeah. is so bad. You can't go, you can't <laughs> get much worse than that. I, I would say too, this is, you said it when you described the zombie thing, but mm-hmm. they explicitly in this one talk about how it was, it, it's funny how it took all the way to six for them to actually label it this, but this is where they explicitly make him supernatural. Yes. Right. Where yes. when you look at, I think it was one of our actual like um, horror facts that we had a while back, mm-hmm. which is like, why is it that, you know, Jason never dies or something. And it's because they wanted to make him the ultimate boogeyman, the man that never dies. Right. Right. And then that, and then that way you can get away with everything with everything because they didn't want the constraints. I'm assuming they didn't want the constraints anymore. Right. 
of humanity. Right. <laughs> because then everybody asks you how he can do this and superhuman strength and, strength and why does he never die and all mm-hmm. that. They wanted to go full bore into like, we can do whatever the hell we want. Right. Which made it a lot funner. Some of the ones coming up are like lunacy, but they're a lot of fun. Um, I wrote down when I was watching it, I was like, oh, Jason is born of worms and lightning and obsession. Tommy's obsession. Like that's yep. pretty much what he is resurrected from worms and lightning and obsession because, you know, now we got black skin. He's got dark black skin. Yep. Burned, electrified by the electrical currents, obviously. And then his death is pretty yeah, fatal. And I mean, it's not, but... This is where he gets chained to the bottom of the, you know, I, re- I really remember this one explicitly. Yeah, this seems kid. kind of in your zone as far as when you were watching stuff too, as mm-hmm. like probably like, a, I don't know, a young person. And um, it's a, the, you get the big water ending that you were kind of expecting from the very first movie when he comes out of the water. It would be natural to think, okay, they're going to do water stuff in the future. Right. Like he lives in the water and we're going to go into the water and it's going to be water centric. And so this one, you get the water ending basically because there's that whole, the climactic scene is all like him on the boat and everything. I did want to say, I love that uh, the, what I remember about this movie, the first time I watched it and I had, I, I don't know if I'd seen this one before last year, but what I remembered was the face, her face in the bathroom metal in the RV there's a girl that dies. Um, Jason hide or uh, s- sneaks onto the RV that these two kids are driving away from the camp area to get away from him. So and when she's impaled with a fence post. No, oh. he's there on the RV. So she's in the bathroom, and he grabs her, or he's in the bathroom hiding. He grabs her and pulls her in to the bathroom, and then like strangles her or whatever, and then pushes her face into the metal. And the shot is just from the outside. You see her face in the metal on the outside. And I thought that was particularly fun. There's an actual page where on fandom that you can look up all the different kills and how they did it of each Friday the 13th. Yeah, it's fun. I've movie. seen that it's before. Pretty cool. Um, one of the other things that I think is pretty funny about this episode is um, episode. Yeah, pretty much this film is that now there are some shots where we're just straight following Jason. Like he's a dude walking down the street. Right. Like there's no, there's no like, who is he? What is he? What's he doing? He's completely exposed. Now we just, we literally follow camera wise. We follow his POV like, Oh, Hey, here's a cabin. I'm going to walk up to it. There's just one shot where right. we just follow him walking up to the cabin. I'm like, Oh yeah. Now he's just a dude from the subway that we just right. follow like around. No one's questioning. No, no one's question. Oh, here comes Jason. Like he's definitely, there's no, so you don't get any of the terror anymore of where's he going to be? What's no, he going to do? No, you're he's right. Just there. He, he's just chilling. He's just there. Especially when he takes Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I always forget and then remember about this one is that this one is the, you know, this is the zombie one. And it's also the paintball one. Because oh. pay, paintball wasn't really a thing. Yeah. Like they go back to camp and so there's the cabin camp part of it. There's the graveyard part of it. I always remember that. There's a couple of the kills that I remember and the paintball because there's hilarity. What did you like about this one? I mean, I thought I thought the, the kills were whatever. I don't know if there were any that like really stuck out. I just think that I liked how they created Jason in this one. I felt like it, again, we were beyond like trying to figure out what we were doing with him. Um, he because he comes back as the supernatural force, I think this is the first time where it maybe partially has to do with how old I was when I watched it. It was the first time that Jason actually felt like threatening. He wasn't this like, you know, dumb victim kid that came back with encephalitis. It was like, he was a real boogeyman in this one. But I also liked that they, again, they, I think they, they found their, they found what they were doing in this one. And so the story flowed for me, the characters were more fun. Jason was more creative and they had worked out a lot of the kinks and yeah, following five, which was awful. It's really hard to do worse, but I think even as a standalone, even if I didn't see five before that, I just liked six as no, a movie. No, you can just skip five. I yeah, mean, you, you can really skip can. Five. I mean, it yeah. literally start, starts the same. 
That's right. In the graveyard. For like sure. You literally can skip five. Yeah. So I, I just think as a as a campy slasher, whatever, I just think six is fun. Well, and I also think they kind of established that Jason loves children. Yeah. You know, they gave you that flavor. And I and I do like a flavor of Achilles heel. I mean, I think one of the horror facts you gave me recently was about how Jason's kryptonite was water. Yeah. And we know that. But then I'm also like, then there's this interesting thing, like a lot of times when they portray these killers, there's always like someone they don't kill or someone they connect with. And that's like the Corey Feldman kind of right. got in his head and then didn't get killed because he's a kid. And then there's right. a kid in this one where he doesn't attack he has her. that he has that empathy because that of what moment. he went through exactly right? yeah, that's so. that trauma that, right. that trauma thing they just kind of give a little flavor it's all campy and fun and silly but there's just like this little flavor it's, of who he is you and know? and that softness which again makes him uh, that likability that's still there which is intentional most people root for jason yeah when you watch these movies you root for jason that's i don't like, root for freddie no right and i don't root for michael right but you, you root, do kind of root, root for, for Jason. Jason. Yeah. So, and I think that's one of the we differences. Sure to say we root for Jason. Yeah. Free Jason. Yeah. <laughs> Jason lives, really. Jason that's lives. This, this is also the movie, if you've ever, and this is just be my last thing, is that if you've ever played the Friday the 13th game, which has been in a lot of po oh, yeah. political mire, it's really a lot of this movie. Yeah. It's the camp. And the, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So, all right, cool. We that was fun. We get to move on now to Kane. Seven and eight. Yeah. I'm excited. He's Moving a whole on. other Jason. Moving on because there's some fun stuff coming. Yeah. <laughs> I like some of these later ones. They're just ridiculous. They are. And I love Kane Hodder. Yeah. Go Kane. Free Kane. Okay. <laughs> we'll be right back with our horror watches, etc. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll take a wee break and we'll be right back. <laughs> so melodical for the halloween watches section of our so show true. today <laughs> i wanted to mention that in our discord we do a lot of watch alongs and i just i actually wanted to tell kathy this because i'm not sure we've ever spoken about it before but we have a patron and friend named well we, his nickname is snake uh, he goes by the crypt keeper and he has started a couple of months ago he started hosting his own events in our server once a month and they're so a lot cool. of fun because mm -hmm. he's very much like old school usa uh up all night that that old school kind of premise sort of campy cheesy funny movies and stuff like that is usually what happens and so like last month we watched weird science and fast times at ridgemont high and i wanted to mention that this this month for october because we're blowing it out of the water like i'm scheduling a bunch of stuff and one of the things i'm scheduling is he's gonna have like a two-night horror centered because a lot of times his stuff is like cheesy campy stuff from the past but it's not always horror right um but it's still a lot of fun what was the one that we, it wasn't rad what did we watch the oh the skateboard movie oh, was so and, good yeah those were a lot of fun that was yeah. the month before but so for this month it's always so it's always a mystery we don't we never never we never know the movies and then he also does complimentary menus with the movies so he gives you a menu and then we all cook and there's like pictures of all of our like finished products and then we watch the movies and eat the food that we've made so it's like a way of having a drive-in movie theater only you know you're you're doing it all yourself because you're you're doing it virtually but it's a lot of fun so i wanted to let kathy know that it towards the end middle of the month i think it's like the 15th and 16th we're gonna do like a two-night you know crypt keeper palooza horror centered cool. usa you know up all night type of thing for those nights so if you guys join as a patron for as little as five bucks a month before that and join our discord you know come come have some fun with us we're also doing some challenges and watching a crap it's a lot of, of movies fun. yeah it's, yeah it's fun we have a i just i think our people are smart and funny and wonderful but I'm biased. No, I, I would agree. <laughs> so, all right. So let's talk some movies. T throw one out. What are we talking about? I want to start with um, one that I, I mean, it's from 2019, but I think it's a great one to discuss just because there's so much psychology in it. Okay. And you and I talked about it off recording a couple days ago, which is John Travolta and the Fanatic. It's just psychological horror film thriller film and it's actually co-written and directed by fred durst this is a really interesting fact though 
about Fred Durst, I didn't know this. I actually read this after I watched the film was that this is something that happened to Fred Durst. And then he recreated this uh, character, John Travolta playing, and I'll give you the synopsis in a moment. He's a singer of Limp Bizkit. Thank you, Limp Bizkit. Had no idea that he was the writer and director. I figured this all out after I watched it, which I'm kind of glad I went in that order because I don't. I may have been thinking Cognitive about that the dissonance. whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, but it was based off something that actually happened to Fred Durst. So Moose, played by John Travolta, is a man with severe autism who works as a street performer on Hollywood Boulevard. He's also an avid movie fan, filling his apartment with memorabilia from various movies, including those of cult horror and action film star Hunter Dunbar, which, by the way, is played by Devin Sawa. I don't think I've seen that guy since Casper. And all of a sudden now he's like 37 and buff and kind of aging. And Amazing. I was like, what the hell am I looking at? Um, I couldn't believe it was him. And then I took a closer look and I was like, wow, that is so crazy. I haven't seen him in something in so long. That's awesome. Uh, with whom he develops an unhealthy obsession. So uh, John Travolta's character developed, you know, it, and that's the thing is, I think what's so important about this film is we talk a lot about how mental illness is not directly uh it, it can be correlated to violence but it doesn't cause violence and if you watch this film in its entirety he actually wasn't violent but he gets triggered by the the bullying and all of the stuff that happens in the torment from this very narcissistic celebrity who understandably is reacting to John Travolta's constant physical and mental intrusion on his life. Sure. But you see how this relationship really spirals and how John Travolta really just wants attention. He really just wants an autograph. He just really wants to be seen. Mm. And so when Moose finally gets an opportunity to meet him and get an autograph for an expensive jacket he purchased at a fan auction, he loses his chance when Dunbar's ex-wife abruptly comes to see him. Moose is friends with the younger paparazzi photographer who shows Moose an app that publishes the home address of famous celebrities including his hero and so the story unfolds that he becomes very obsessed he gets into the house and it's a very interesting psychological dynamic between between john travolta and uh, devin sawa in this film because john travolta does become dangerous for a number of reasons but he's not a sociopath he's not a psychopath it's i think a true representation of when mental illness really can break down and and become dangerous um and i thought it was done incredibly well and john travolta's performance in this is outstanding oh yeah and i just i had never heard of it i had never seen it and i think it really flew under the radar maybe because fred durst directed i don't know but i thought it was incredible okay great yeah Amazing. That's awesome. That's a good recommend because I, I've seen people around the community watch that movie and I know it always, people always say like, oh yeah, I love this one. Yeah, it's good. It's just one of the ones that just never made, never made like horror icon or thriller icon status. You know what I, I mean? Yeah. And I think, I've, I think it's on Prime. Okay. And that's where I saw it. Cool. Or Netflix, one of the two. Yeah. I wanted to say that I watched one movie that I did not think was good <laughs> in the last chunk of time and that movie is called we need to do something and it's a 2021 horror movie 97 minutes long all right i will read the premise after melissa and her family seek shelter from a storm they become trapped with no sign of rescue hours turn into days and melissa comes to realize that she and her girlfriend amy might have something to do with the horrors that threaten to tear her family apart and the entire world apart so when you hear me say all of that you might pull out the fact that it's an isolation horror so that's one of the reasons why i watched it not only do i try to watch the new stuff so it's a 2021 movie so i try to give all the new stuff a shot and be kind of up to snuff on what's going on in the horror world obviously for obvious reasons i watched this and so oh isolation horror that'll be cool and it sort of sounds like creepy and scary or whatever there's maybe like one scene that's frightening mm -hmm. you know towards the beginning of it but it's this family in this house and the, the house is in disrepair and 
what happens, the premise is really great to me. There's this house and they're in there and the dad is really awful. Mm -hmm. He's like this mean, awful guy. And the mom seems sort of, I don't know, compliant or str I don't know. You just kind of go like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And then there's the teenage girl that's a jerk, of course. And then there's the smaller boy that's kind of just kind of bland, whatever. So you've mm -hmm. got this family in this house. And the premise is pretty cool because you get the sense very quickly that the world is ending or something outside, right? Like something has happened and maybe there's people outside that are coming and going to get them. Maybe there's monsters outside. You just don't even know. Yeah. And so you start to hear noises outside. They start to have interactions with people outside. Like somebody puts an arm through and it gets stolen, you know, kind of mm -hmm. things like it's ripped off or whatever. Yeah. So you, this is like, that sounds all pretty great, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds great to me. Like, oh, what's going to happen? And, and what are we going to learn about what's going on outside? Well, we learned nothing really. <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem. Like it just, it didn't go. It didn't, it didn't go. It, this One of the problems was that we, that nobody is likable. Oh yeah, that never works. Now we know this happens in a lot of movies and everyone who's writing horror movies out there, just remember that we have to have a hero somewhere. We have to, even if everyone dies, you know, even if everyone is awful, it's literally just like we were talking about with Jason. It's so much better if there's just a little glimmer into the humanity of the person yeah. that people are not all bad, all good, whatever, that there's motivation and a reason why people are that. And, and it can be simple. It can be a few lines. It's mm -hmm. like, it's not that hard, you guys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like seriously. Anyway, unlikable. So it was a good, it's like a good premise, but a failed execution. Not only is the premise real good, so I've said before, like most people can write an, a, a good act one because that's the premise and that's where you set up everything and then you go forward. And then act two, everything falls apart. But it, honestly, in this movie by act three, it was fucking ridiculous. Like it just got real ridiculous. <laughs> You're like, okay, it can end. You're like, okay, we're, yeah. we've failed and now we can stop. And you know, one of the problems with this is that, okay, so they're all unlikable and then you want to know, you want to sort of see how they come to, are they going to come together? You have a few choices, right? Are they going to mm -hmm. come together as a family? Is somebody going to have a character arc? Is there going to be any kind of redemption or anything? No, no, and no. And then, uh, like, we don't know what they were like before the movie. We don't have any sense of, were they always no assholes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was their life like before? Mm -hmm. I mean, you want you do get a sense of who the dad was. He's mm -hmm. just a jerk. Mm -hmm. But like, okay, he's a jerk. I guess people that enjoy, because I've seen, you know, of course, some people like this movie. There's always people that are going to like a movie and love a movie that I don't think is any good. And I imagine they relate to the fucked up family thing. Yeah. I'm guessing. Or they liked the isolation part. Or they liked the gore. There was some gore in it. Okay. So they might have liked that. There was some grossness. There was like vomiting and, you know, all the oh, okay. all the good gross stuff. So what else did you watch? That that sounds wonderful, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a movie called Hosts with an S on the end. So not host, the one that we watched um that had to do with the Zoom. This is uh another film a uh, european film actually really enjoyed this a family falls victim to unimaginable terror when they invite their sweet young neighbors over to celebrate christmas eve so oh getting in the season early are you yeah <laughs> um what i love about this is it, it's first of all it's it's a high you, you might recognize some of their faces as character actors but it's it's highly unrecognizable for the most part which i think in these movies can make it so much more believable it can help a lot yeah and it takes place on christmas eve obviously there's this young couple that lives next door who have known the family that i'm talking about for quite some time and they're invited over for christmas eve dinner and shortly before they go over to the dinner and you see the 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 neighbor guy and the older gentleman who's the father of the family talking earlier in the day as the the older gentleman's dressed as santa and like shooting the ducks for dinner and they're having this really great exchange and so it's this buildup of like they get along as neighbors and they're you know there's just this young couple that their families are far away so this family has them over but shortly before that the girlfriend hears something really weird going on outside and I'm not giving anything away because this is in the actual trailer. And shortly after that, both of the girlfriend and the boyfriend 
shortly become, after that, become hosts to this supernatural thing that goes inside of their bodies. And you can sort of see these like light beamings coming out of their eyes. Mm -hmm. So they go over next door for dinner, now hypnotized by this thing, right? And there's a lot of character buildup of that family and what they've been through and the mom's in remission from cancer and they're all getting along and like having the story like, right at Christmas dinner and everybody's like, Oh mom, like that's so great. And this is going to be such a great year. We're so happy. You're okay. All the while these two are sitting at the table, like dead eyed, Yeah, you know, and the, the family's going, are, are they okay? Freaky. Yeah. They just don't have a lot. <laughs> they just don't have a they lot, have to, a lot say. to say. Right. <laughs> and, and the family's so caught up. And if you, if you have big families, you know that they'll get so caught up in the conversation. They're not even noticing that these two people over here are completely quiet. That is the last part of the movie maybe 15 20 minutes in that is silent from there on an entire bloodbath ensues and they murder and take out the entire family okay but then you also i'm not going to give anything else away other than you find out some story plots in there that make you there's some twists and turns and you get a little bit more about these neighbors specifically the male if you are a huge like slasher fan that likes the blood and the gore this movie delivers and the acting's good and the story's pretty good. I mean, I, I thought it was good. You enjoyed it. Yeah. That sounds yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, no. And I sound, I think that sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, a lot of people, I think that like horror, certainly myself included and probably a lot of our listeners, sometimes it's just like, uh, give me a bloodbath. Let me just, yeah. you know, and a well-executed bloodbath, obviously. You it's all want. done well. And like the bloodbaths are all like the kills are really gruesome. It's a, it's an English. It's just, it came out of the UK in 2020. Perfect. Yeah. I also watched Night Books mm. 2021 Netflix. This is getting really good reviews and I really enjoyed it. It's it is PG thirteen. It's like some of those are good. Hour and forty five. Yeah, no, I there's a lot of PG thirteen horror movies that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. They're really put well together because they can't rely on gore. Exactly. <laughs> you know, they have if it's yeah. gonna be good, there's it's, no crutches. That's right. Yeah. So this one follows Alex, a boy obsessed with scary stories, who is imprisoned by an evil young witch in her contemporary New York apartment. So the evil young witch <laughs> is really great. <laughs> She's really great in this. But so what I enjoyed about this is that Kristen Ritter is Natasha, who is the witch. And if you know Kristen Ritter, she's really good in this. I really enjoyed her in this. And I also enjoyed the kids. It's tightly done. I love something just like uh, telling scary stories in the dark or whatever that one is. I love it when it's story based, when it's like a kid obsessed with, you know, scary stories. Yeah. It, it just like resonates with us. Sure. right because we were kids i mean we're still reading scary stories but chris ritter is jessica jones i don't know if anybody watched that show but she was really i good know the that. name yeah you would know her if you when you see this you'll you'll know who she is but it was a lot of fun i highly recommend it it is pg-13 i think i think you can get away with you know an older kids watching it obviously there are a couple of kids that star in it it's fantasy horror okay family spooky house a witch. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I enjoyed cool. it a lot. Very cool. Yeah. What else did you watch? That was about it. I also watched a movie called Martyrs Lane from 2021. Strict horror, 96 minutes. Really good. Okay. <laughs> so you know how we watch, I try to watch the Shutter originals that come out. They yeah. drop like three or four of them every month. Yeah. And they're hit or miss. Because they're definitely buying up a lot of independent horror movies, which I'm a huge supporter of. So I I watch them. Mm-hmm. And some are not great. Some are too artsy. Some aren't. Some just don't come together. Some seems like a fever dream. You're just not sure what's going on. Or, right. some, or some are so brutal that they're really difficult. Because yeah. in the festival scene, you do tend to get things that deal with harder material, right? This one is good. Here's the premise. In this unsettling ghost story, because I like ghost stories, Leah Ten lives in a large old house, and I like a haunted house, with her family, but can't quite work out why her mother seems so distant. At night, she is visited by a mysterious guest who might be able to give her some answers. With a new challenge every night, Leah is rewarded with bits of knowledge that when pieced together, threaten to shine a dangerous light on both the truth in her nightmares and of the world she lives in. 
as you might imagine, it's a slow burn that pays off, right? Like that's how most ghost stories kind of work. It's like the good ones are a slow burn that pays off basically. It's like familiar territory. So it's not like you're going to see necessarily anything new, but it's the performances are really good. There's the grief component in there. So I started watching this. Yeah. And I couldn't get into it. Okay. That's yeah. Fair. It was, it, and I don't know if I was distracted. It moved a little slow for me, mm-hmm. but I thought the girl was, the little girl was very good. Yeah. I mean, the scares are really subtle. Yeah. No, it wasn't. So, I mean, I don't mind that. I think it just, it didn't, I don't know. There was something, the pacing or something of it. Yeah, it sure. Little, and it can be mood too, right? Like it I, could, sit down definitely. To, I sit down to watch a movie and I'm like, yeah, I'm not in the mood for this but kind she, of thing. But she was excellent. She was really good. The yeah. performances are really good. I, mm-hmm. I honestly really can't take away from the performances. I also, so my recommendation would be to have a, I don't know, the best experience you can. If you don't like ghost stories and if you don't like atmospheric slow burn ghost stories, you might not like this. But the director, Ruth Platt, she creates so much tension in it that I, I did get sucked into it. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a forebode, foreboding danger. There's an anxiety to it. It's really subtle and it scares. I think cinematically it's really shot beautifully. Certainly I could agree with you in that like pacing. There's some issues yeah. with the pacing. It's, it is slow and it might not be for diehard horror fans or whatever. But like I said, if you like slow burn, if you like ghost stories, if, if that's the mood you're in, like I yeah. watched it late at night in the dark. That, that's right. If you're so, trying to watch it early in the morning no, or whatever. No. Yeah. So no. atmosphere matters. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are tons of movies I've watched where I watched it the second time and it was better. Or I watched it with friends right. who like that sort of thing. And I thought it was better, but also it may not be your cup of tea either. Got really good reviews, so I know that the the critics mostly enjoyed it. So, but audiences are audiences. We all have our own thing. Yeah. But I also watched that one. But so today, I I just wanted to throw out a bunch of new stuff that I watched. Those are all twenty twenty one movies. Cool. Yeah. We got some horror facts to finish mm-hmm. with, though. Yep. I definitely want some horror facts. Gosh, where's my paper uh-huh. where I wrote down mm-hmm. my. That- non-answers <laughs> i'll just give you the answer since you don't have no, them. no i have a couple number one what Stop famous it. director stated one person's craziness is another person's reality no robbing me of my humiliation i don't know tim burton oh nice. he also said movies are like an expensive form of therapy for me oh he's a sweet little weirdo number two i think you know which disney ride has a basketball court inside the so. matterhorn yep Number three, this breed of dog comes comes originally from ancient Egypt, where their mummified remains could be found entombed with pharaohs. They are probably the very first breed to be developed purely as a companion and have been around between four to 7,000 years, 4,000 to 7,000 years. Okay, so I had two guesses. Okay. One is a Doberman. Nope. The other is a Great Dane. Nope. Okay. It is the Italian Greyhound. Okay. She says that because that's she has many, many ones. That's the Italian. Oh, at home. Italians are actually not from Italy. They're from Egypt. There you go. Yeah. They look like a little Anubis. Yeah. I've seen the pictures. I just didn't know what kind of dog that was. (laughs) Number four. As humans, we spend an average of blank years sleeping. I have to guess. I obviously do not know this, but uh, what I did in my head was I thought, okay, what if our like average lifespan is like, 75 80s years old i don't know what the average is right now and then i was like well we probably spend a third of our life working and a third of our life sleeping so i was thinking like 20 25 years you got it okay 25 years a third a third of our lives oh okay yeah. so that right was on. but i wanted to take you through my yeah no that was good i would not have had that the sort of math why i kind of i was like so if i'm going to think about this <laughs> And the last one, the monumental transformation scene in this horror film was known to be uh, the development of practical effects. I don't know. There's so many. You know what I happened know. is my head flooded with options. Sure. And and it's not that practical effects weren't used before this, but okay. this w- this was really like when people went, oh, 
were changed and stuff. Well, I mean, then I would probably say something like Alien or something like I, that. I, I thought that's where your head would go, but it was actually um, American Werewolf in London, 1981. Okay. It's the, the werewolf transformation. That's so why I said transformation. That. Yeah, yeah oh, mm-hmm. that's right. Transformation, that makes a big difference. So and, it was after that that they really started to use more of that in horror, and that was really like a big deal. And it's still to this day a great scene. It's such a great scene and a fun movie to watch at this time <sighs> of the year, by the way, movie. if anybody wants to. I mean, a lot of people probably throw down that movie this time yeah. of year. And it's funny. I mean, it was supposed to originally be a comedy and it's often listed as comedy, but I don't find it that funny. It has humor. It certainly has humor, but it, it there's a lot of other stuff in it's, it. You know, it's listed like as yep. a comedy. And yeah. I just and I I look at that every time. I'm like, no. Well, and, really. and people thought it was and they ran out of the theater yes. when it started. Yeah. Yes. See, that's what I think it's it John landis that did it that's probably why because you know they just assumed yeah oh it's gonna be silly that's what did it. no not silly actually quite scary uh, in the in its day yep all right thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of terror talk my name is shannon and i'm kathy sleep safe everyone